Welcome in. It is episode 53, the Grant Caster edition of the Three Guys Talking Ball podcast. It is December 1, 2022 on a Thursday. Be recapping a whole lot of things that went on this weekend. It was Thanksgiving. Grant is back. Ethan is feeling a little bit under the weather, so hopefully he'll feel better and come back next week with us. Uh, We're going to recap Grant's Tulsa trip. We're going to go talk about his football team he screwed up he let brian ference out of the, his closet mm-hmm. the axe is back home in minneapolis michigan had a somewhat of a big win some would say and dsu is going to be playing the grizzly on, grizzlies on saturday the cowboys got a thanksgiving win the vikings got a thanksgiving win the chiefs they did their thing and they got a win and then we're going to preview some conference championship games in the nfl and and then preview the uh, upcoming week in the NFL. So, Grant, how are we doing? How was how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was fantastic. Okay, where uh, where did you you didn't have to work on Thanksgiving at all, or didn't have to work? No, nope. had the okay. day off. So, food, family, and relaxation. Do you do you go back to Mankato then? I'm guessing. Yep, went to May. I went down Wednesday night. Okay. Uh, did you, know, you uh, of... did you partake in uh, Black Wednesday? I did not partake in Black Wednesday. No, um, no, just wasn't uh, wasn't my thing because it was it was a quick trip, knowing that I had to come back up Thursday because I had to work Friday, uh, so I did not partake in uh, as you call it Black Wednesday or um, High School Reunion Wednesday. That's what I like to call it. Um, I was did not did not partake in that, but no, like you said, Thanksgiving was good, food, family, relaxation. Can it get much better than that? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, football as well. Mm-hmm. Some good games we got to see. See. Um, so did you? Uh, what was? Uh, what was? Um, I'm guessing did uh, your uh, um, mom mom cook the turkey or what was? So uh, actually, what, what was on your? What was on your plate at the uh, caster so, Thanksgiving, Grant? So um, there was a bunch of us casters there. We were at my mom's family, um, at, where she grew up. You know, just outside of Janesville there. Um, about 20 minutes from Mankato and it was your traditional Thanksgiving spread um, turkey there was a ham also so that was nice okay. a little a little extra protein there uh, mashed potatoes that had a little bit of everything butter sour cream top the tater I think some cream cheese was melted in there it was, I had about four plates of those it was fantastic <laughs> um, you know you you got your stuffing with uh, I think some cranberries and like some walnut pieces in there too it was a good change of pace it was it was it was delicious, and then um, I felt like I was back in the south again. There was coleslaw at, at, as as one of the sides, some lemon bars, and then my sister Olivia made two awesome pies. Um, for being a girl from Minnesota, she makes a damn good pecan pie. Ooh, okay. So you have that with a little uh, little vanilla ice cream on the top, and uh, I'm getting hungry right now just thinking about yeah. that. <laughs> I, I kind of wish she would have made me a pie so I could could have taken it home with me. Um. So your traditional kind of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving foods, but it was, it was fantastic. And it didn't look there. There was a whole lot of leftovers. So we did our job. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was the same. We went out to, uh, to Mott, to my aunt and uncle's cousin, cousin's, uh, place. And, uh, similar to you, Turkey, we had ham as well. Uh, 
This my my grandma makes a phenomenal ham glaze that you put over. I don't know if you were able to listen to the uh, podcast with uh, Mike last week where we discussed what was on our Thanksgiving plates. But uh, yeah, had that turkey thing, um, ham stuffing. Uh, I I made mac and cheese. Uh, I made and it wasn't wasn't the craft the Velveeta or the boxed mac and cheese. It was it was from scratch. I get kind of scratch. I shouldn't say from scratch, but you know the cheese sauce I made, a whole milk, shredded cheese, butter, and then I, I put in some hot sauce, some cayenne pepper, chili powder, cumin, oh, paprika. You know, give it a little bit of a kick, and then topped it off with a sprinkle pour breadcrumbs over the top of it, put it in the oven for about 15 minutes, give it that little, that extra crunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was told it was, uh, I had some good rave reviews from it. Uh, I don't know if they were just saying that because they didn't want to hurt my feelings. And there's a day to be thankful. Thanks, Dylan, for bringing the yep, dish. Exactly. And then what else did we have? We had so much food. I, I took a fat nap. After I was done, and then uh, oh, my cousin Logan, shout out Logan, he just killed a killed a uh, deer from out in uh, got a Montana tag, so killed that, and then his wife made because we have to make sure this is correct, and Logan doesn't get more than the credit he deserves because he did kill the deer. We'll give him that. But he didn't his wife up out of the road and say, "Hey, look what I bagged this year." Honey. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. His uh, his wife made. Bacon wrapped backstrap, and it was the perfect medium rare. It Ooh. was oh, it was so good. So shout out to Carly for making uh for making that, and then finished it off with some uh, pecan pie, pumpkin bars as well, and then took oh meatballs, meatballs. That was uh, that's always one of our oh yes, and uh, last year was actually. Last year we had, because uh, uh, Logan's wife killed a moose from a couple of years ago, or last year as well, so instead of, like, regular, like, ground hamburger, they ground up moose, and it was moose balls, which was incredible, and then got some leftovers. You see, that's interesting to me, because I feel like meatballs and such, that's more Christmassy or New Year's. Um, Maybe I'm just full of shit here, and I don't know what I'm talking about, but... That that's that caught me for a little curve there, a little early edition of the curveball of the week. But I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was awesome. I probably shouldn't have eaten for the next three to four days, but being the fat guy I am, you know, I I partook because well, you know what I was I I'm in training, so you know, gotta gotta new new nutrition up and eat. So it's getting cold outside. Yep. And it's getting, yeah, gotta gotta have a little bit of some extra extra you gotta stuffing, have, if you will. You gotta have a base layer. I mean, um, look at you know my sister Miranda. Nothing against her, but she has the world's highest metabolism. She's always cold. Why is huh? that? Because she's got a high metabolism. She she can't build that good base. It, it's we, it's what we need here. Exactly, and it's what we need. And it's it, it's a couple of times a year. That you get to be with your family and you can eat whatever you want. Nobody can judge you for it because they're all doing the same thing. Same damn thing. So that was uh, that was our Thanksgiving wrap up, and you were down in the uh, in the Paris of the Southwest, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you were mm-hmm. you were I guess you were kind of all over the map down there. You were 
at the cross country championships in Stillwater. Then you went over to Norman, watched yeah. the Bedlam game, and then you also were in Tulsa. So, how was uh, how how was how was Oklahoma? I should say is just a broad spectrum. We can see if you're watching on the YouTube channel, go subscribe. You can see the OU hat in the background. Yep, there it is. Right there, boys, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, Dylan, Oklahoma was was really good. Um, that weekend, it was cold in Minneapolis. It was, what, three degrees outside? Well, during the day down there, we had 35 and sunny with, uh, with, no, with no, no breeze, no wind. It was perfect. You just need a sweatshirt, maybe a light vest on over that, but, but uh, no major coat, no hats, no gloves, um, because that's just the perfect weather. And like you said, for the NCAA cross-country track, Cross country championship, excuse me, 35 and sunny is perfect running weather. Um, but you know, the one thing I did notice, you're speaking of um your cousin Logan for uh, tagging that deer in Montana this year. Uh, as we were driving through the state of Missouri, I have noticed this. Uh deer season did not go well for the people in Missouri because there was a lot of roadkill, a lot of wow. dead animals, <laughs> and, and some nice and ones there, too, I'm guessing. There were some good ones there, yeah. Uh, you know, some a couple fresh ones that you could tell just got hit by a semi, and they were not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so I don't the either the people in Missouri don't have good aim, or there was just a bunch of deer out there that they couldn't they couldn't take them out this year. But the state of the state of Missouri did not have a good deer season. Wow. Uh, I, I I will say that wow. uh, for that, whatever that's worth. That that's unfortunate for the people of Missouri. Mm. We did I I did give you an assignment to uh that we get we we need a full full uh pr recap uh preview i shouldn't say preview um review review that's the right word i'm looking for it's still monday yeah. when we record this so brain's still still recovering a little bit not all back to 100 percent recovered from the long weekend uh but what uh let's let's hear this uh the review of uh gaylord memorial stadium man i tell you what is a beautiful stadium it's a big stadium, and that's how college football should be. And th the cool part about that is, is there's no parking lots around there. You don't have a 10-mile walk to get to the stadium. You look, and let's say you're um, on campus and you have a chemistry class. Well, you walk two blocks north, and guess what? 85,000-foot football stadium. It's, it's right in the heart of, of the middle of campus. But I tell you, you know, it sticks out like a sore, sore thumb because it's a tall stadium. And on both end zones, it says, you know, welcome to the University of Oklahoma. Um, you're seven-time national champions. They really like to let the people know about that. <laughs> uh, the other side, they, you know, they have a big clock that says, welcome to Gaylord Memorial Stadium on the outside. So it was cool. Um, you know, and you're just, you're right there. And another one interesting part about that is when we were down there, we actually parked about maybe – three quarters of a mile away from the stadium and like an elementary school. And so, like I said, it's just, you're right in the heart of Norman. And I think that's why the people of Oklahoma, uh, you know, love their Sooners because the school, you feel like you're part of the state. They're, they're not like Duke where they, these people, they think they're better than everyone else and they don't fit the Raleigh Durham, Durham area. People from Norman and Oklahoma city, they, they love that school because that school is them. And it was really cool. We walked in on the, the south end of the stadium and there was a big turf area with four statues. 
two to my left and two to my right. And there were four statues, Dylan, of the, all the coaches who have won a national title at the University of Oklahoma. And, you know, the two that we would remember the most were Barry Switzer and Bob Stoops. Yep. And the cool part about that was is on the side of each of these statues, it said their record at the school. It gave them a nice long biography, you know, record at the school, how many All-Americans they've coached, their winning percentages, if they coached any Heisman Trophy winners, uh, you know, what what the state of Oklahoma means to them and what they've meant to this program. So, you know, they if you're royalty down there, they take care of you. And then also it was the same end zone where the recruits um, came in to visit. And as we're, you know, we got there nice and early because we wanted to take it all in. And, um, you know, that, that looked like they were going to the trenches that night for their recruiting visit because I saw a couple of offensive linemen and a couple of defensive linemen and linebackers for OU that night at Bedlam. Um, and then also what was cool is on the, the other outside part of the stadium, as you're just kind of walking down, down the sidewalk around, you see all there's a bronze statue of all seven Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, the year the year they won the Heisman, their stats, uh, that final year their record was at the school, and uh, you know it's cool is because the ones we recently would see a lot of were you know Jason White, Sam Bradford, and then Baker Mayfield, Kyler, and, and Kyler's wasn't built yet. Oh, okay. Um, so catch, the, you know, these statues, Dylan, you know, they're probably seven, eight feet tall. So they're, they're a lot of work. And actually the Baker one was just done this past April. Oh, okay. But they do have a spot um, in that same grass area reserved for Kyler's. That's going to go right next to Baker's. They just, they're going to take a little time to build that. Ah, gotcha. Cause uh, do they, th- do they have somebody build that at a different location and then they transport it in or is it built? in that spot from the ground up it looks it's built somewhere else and they transport because it's also you know on a cement slab that's probably about three three feet tall so they put the slab on the ground and they put the statue for the player on top of that and it was really cool the one with baker they got it right because uh they they had his headband on there ah okay nice and if, if you remember when they played in bedlam in 2015 against Oklahoma State, it was a little cold down there in Stillwater. They had his, his pocket warmer on his vest, too. Okay. You know, the patent, um, you know, where, you know, Baker, to keep his hands warm there. Yep. And, um, you know, again, they're, they're proud of their history. Because when you, when you walk in to the stadium on the side of where the press box is, well, you have one. On the left, where I was looking at it, we were on the Oklahoma State side. So when I was looking at it on my left, it, you had the big OU logo and then the Jordan logo on the right-hand side. Uh, the, you know, they're, they're, they're proud of that. But then also, again, they let you know seven-time national champions, um, seven Heisman Trophy winners, and then they have their, you know, however many All-Americans and conference championships and everything like that. Um, but so to get to our seats, you came into the stadium, and it was pretty neat. We were like section 228. And, you know, that's, it's a very steep stadium. So instead of having an elevator or stairs, they almost had like, they had a ramp that you would walk up, you know, just a slight incline back and forth, back and forth, kind of like a stairwell. Well, this stadium was so steep, Dylan, I kid you not. We probably had 16 different um, ramps we had to walk up to get to our seats and they were probably each of those ramps were probably a hundred foot long. Oh man. 
Ooh, um, you got I, you got your steps in. I I calculated it. I think it took me over a thousand steps to get from the bottom of that stadium to the top. Oh <laughs> man, like this is just ridiculous. Because after three or four levels, I was like, "This is kind of taking a while." We're and we're not that high off the ground. And I, I pulled my phone out and I, let's say for an easy number, I was like nineteen three, nineteen thousand three hundred steps for the day. Well, we get to the top and it's like your final steps for the day at this point are, you know, 20,200. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And you know, your, your feet are starting to hurt a little bit and you're just, now you're thinking, when is this going to end? Like I didn't sign up to get all this exercise in today. Uh, um, so, but then it was cool. Cause you got up to the top there and they had plenty of restrooms and they had, you know, four or five different spots to get food. So you didn't have to fight with the, uh, the congregation. And another part that I really liked for their seat, our seats, you know, normally it says, hey, you know, your section 228, come here. If you're 229, come here. And, and you don't know which side to go on. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, am I going to have to walk across 30 people or not? Well, the way they have it set up at Memorial Stadium, it says if you're at section 228, seats one through seven or one through eight, go by these stairs. So then you're not walking across you know, 50 rows of people if you have to go to the restroom all the time. Okay. So that was kind of cool. So yeah. then you didn't have to, then you didn't have to think about it. Like well, what, what the heck's going on here? What are we doing? And then you get to our seat. And then what took me away was how big their jumbotron was to my left. I mean, it was, it had to have been 150 feet wide, 200 feet wide. I mean, this, this thing was huge. They had, you know, on the far left-hand side, they had um, the team, you know, both scoreboards, and then in the middle was just a huge screen where they were showing, you know, actual video of the game. And then another cool part was, as we got there early enough before warmups, they were showing other games throughout the country. Oh, so that's you, sweet. Yeah. So you could watch, you know, Ohio state was playing Maryland. Iowa was playing Minnesota. Um, I can't remember. Clemson was playing Miami. So they were just kind of showing other games throughout the country. Uh, before you know, before the OU and OSU players came onto the field for their warmups, uh, you know, and and, and that was kind of cool because you know people they they know, you know, hey, people want to get here ninety minutes before kickoff to beat the eighty five thousand people who are going to be in here. Let's let's give them a little entertainment to watch. Yeah. Oh, what was so? What was the? Uh, what was kind of the atmosphere as far as like during the game where? Were Oklahoma and Oklahoma State fans, were they uh, cordial with each other? Or was there – could you tense uh, or feel some, like, tension between the two schools? Or, you know, were they uh, – how, how – what was well, – because the atmosphere of the game got felt like it was over fairly quickly because Oklahoma jumped out to a 28-point lead. Yep. And then after that, it was – there wasn't much. But, like, the lead-up, the build, was there – could you see some tension? Did you see any fights in the stands? Nope, no fights in the stands. I think, you know, because by the time kickoff started, you know, around 640, it was, it was it was it was completely dark and it was cold. And where we were sitting, you know, we were kind of on the second level of the stadium. So there wasn't anything blocking us from the wind if the wind was coming in from the north. So and I think, you know, for us, 26 degrees is not bad. We're from Minnesota. People down there, they're not used to that. It was a little cold. And also I should mention that was really cool in our seats where we looked off to our right. We could see the rest of the university and then also the city lights and the skyline from Oklahoma city. 
because Norman is just south of Oklahoma City. And kind of, you know how Kinnick, they have the water tower with the Tiger Hawk logo on there? Yep. OU has that, too, on a water tower, just, um, you know, one of the end zones. So when you're on the field, you look up and you can see the water tower with the OU logo on there. And then we could see the, the rest of the campus. And like I said, you know, those lights in the skyline from Oklahoma City. So that was really cool. But before the game, no, not a whole lot of tension. Um, you know, not many people yelling at each other. There was a couple couple OSU fans who, um, you know, tried to say this was the Cowboy State. It's a Cowboy State. But members of the OU band came back and said something like, hey, you know, 94 to 13 because OU has dominated I, this rivalry I so much. That. I was shocked. Yeah. By I, I figured Oklahoma uh, had a sizable advantage. I yeah. did not realize that Oklahoma State's only won 13 times in this 13 game. 13 times in that's, this game. That's crazy. And so that was about as far as, as much as, as close to any bad blood there was. But it wasn't, you know, fights in the stands, um, you know, if you're going to see anything like in the Southeastern Conference. So the, the fans, they, they respected each other. Uh, for for a little bit, uh, for 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 the most part, you know, in that game, and then, um, but it was really cool on the entrance, you know, kind of like these big schools, you know, whenever OU scored a touchdown, they had those big flat the lights, yeah, um, flickered in the stadium, and that that was really cool uh, to see, and you know, that they got a good light show for their entrance, and then, dude, seeing seeing that boomer the sooner schooner in person. It did not tip. <laughs> actually, they they widened the wheelbase um, after oh, the last man. time it tipped, because before all four wheels used to be parallel. But they they shift the back the two back wheels a little bit more, where that um, so that didn't that didn't tip. But you know they got you know the ponies out there and their Wreckham crew as they call it, and uh, you know after they got up to that twenty eight old lead, those ponies were they were a little tired. <laughs> well, they didn't I don't have to use it the rest of the game. So they didn't have to use it the rest of the game. No, and I don't think they were used to using it as much this year. No, <laughs> uh, compared to years past. Um, and then you know, after every kickoff, you know, the Wrecking Crew they fire up their pistols in the air. Um, so you get you know the, that blank gunfire. Um, just all in all, just a really cool stadium, you know, and it's what college football is supposed to be like. And you know, OU they're having a bad year at that time. They were five and five. There were still eighty four thousand people there, strong. Yeah, yeah not an empty, uh, not, loyal, not an loyal empty, fan base. Loyal fan base, not an empty seat in the house. And you know what? I was most impressed is you didn't hear any negative negativity from the stands. Okay. Oh, uh, Dylan, Dylan Gabriel sucks. Venables doesn't know what he's doing. Um, this coaching staff sucks. We need a new head coach. Nothing like that. It was funny though, because also you know during one of the TV timeouts. They they actually showed highlights from across the country on live on live games that were going on. You know they showed a highlight from Texas Tech Iowa State. They showed you know Tennessee getting mollywhopped by South Carolina, but then they go and we're going to go to Los Angeles where UCLA is playing USC. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they do not like Lincoln Riley, and they I... do not like they do not like USC. They're they're in Norman because they feel huh. like he left them high and dry. A little bit of scars, a little still uh, fresh there, I, I I suppose. Oh yeah, and you know because <laughs> it was after Bedlam last year, you know the day yeah. after when he just kind of said, "Oh hey, by the way, I'm going to USC. See you guys." Well, and uh, he I think he planned on staying until they lost, and then he said, "I'm bolting." 
Well, yeah, I mean, because you know, people always thought he would go. He was going to LSU. Yep. And then I think they lost, and um, you know, USC came and said, "Hey, you can live in Southern California and make 120 million dollars over 10 years, and you can be now you can really be a big fish in a small pond in this conference compared to going to the Southeastern Conference." And he said, "Yeah, let's do it." Yeah. And you got, you got to think also knowing that we are in the world the world we live in with college athletics being the transfer portal where he knew hmm, I could get Caleb Williams and, and I could get all these other guys that want to come play for me where this rebuild won't have to seem as bad because I could just get better players than everyone else. Yeah. Well, and it's working out. We'll preview that game a little bit later on, but we'll, uh, we'll get back to week 13 in college football. We'll start with the Friday game, Nebraska, Ended a eight-game losing skid. This is all Grant's fault because he goes on vacation and he lets Brian Ferentz get out of the closet. And Brian Ferentz was calling the game, and it looked like it because there was, up until this point, Iowa was rolling. They were playing good. All it was a very the path back to Indy was very clear for them. All they had to do was beat a lowly three and eight Nebraska team who had fired who. Didn't have a head coach who they were not playing. I think they lost five or six losers of five or six straight. And they get down 24 nothing. To their credit, they battle back. Petrus was hurt. Matt Laporta was I, I can't Laporta, I can't remember his first name, was did not play. They definitely missed him. It was crazy to think that they missed Spencer Petrus. Who knows? Maybe that game is a little bit different. But Overall, Nebraska, they made Nebraska look like they were like in the Frank Solich era. Not Tom Osborne. I don't want to say that too yet. But they, they the defense looked competent. Iowa had no idea. It looked like they've never communicated on the offensive line before. And Alex Padilla was running for his life. The, they actually, and receivers were hit or miss. Padilla, and when he had receivers open, he couldn't hit anybody. Just a very ugly game, and if maybe if just maybe this might get Brian Ferentz out of a job, and we'll see because there this West in the last seventy two hours has gotten a lot better with the hirings of Matt Rule to Nebraska and Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin. The Big Ten West. Is they're they're in a much better coaching position, and Iowa seems to be still stuck in the early two thousands right now. So this is a little bit of a crossroads. We're gonna have to see what what Kirk does. Uh, the, I don't know how you can confidently say if you're Kirk Ferentz that we still have a quarterback, our twenty twenty three quarterback on this roster, because they they have to go the transfer portal route or do something because whatever they have right now is not it. They don't have receivers who can get open. Their offensive line is abysmal, which has been a staple of this I of the Iowa and Kirk Ferentz program the lat for how ever many years he's been coaching. But this is definitely a bitter end to a very up and down year for the Hawkeyes. I mean, disappointing is where you start and I don't even think that's the right word to say because it's it's worse than disappointing 
you know, Dylan, because last year you're coming off a 10 and two regular season. You win, you win the big 10 West. I'm sure you get Molly lumped by Michigan in your bowl game. You know, you lose in the big 10 title game, excuse me. You lose a tough game to Kentucky in your bowl game, but still you're 10 and four. You have a lot of players who come back, a lot of experienced, experienced players. And you're thinking they should be able to put this together. And it's just, it's just a roller coaster of a year. And it will all go back to that, what, that first Saturday in September, 7-3 South Dakota State, when your defense outscores your offense, 4-3. to to um, It was just, you know, that was the writing on the wall right there for this tough year. But, you know, back back to Friday. And I, I texted you this. And for some reason, three years in a row, Iowa has now come out sluggish and slow against Nebraska 2020 in the COVID year, they were able to get that pass rush going and get Tyler Goodson going. And they came back and they got a win to, um, you know, finish that year. I don't know if it was five and two, six and two, you know, is that, that weird COVID year. I don't remember records, but they were on the verge of actually, you know, playing Michigan and that extra game they were going to give teams, you know, cause both teams finished what second in their division respectively. Um, Michigan that did not year. finish second in their division, or or so why did or they just f- thought Iowa and Michigan they should play, but and it then was you know some, I don't know it, it was something. I, I try to forget that year, and then um, you know they were going to play Missouri in their bowl game, and then for some reason Missouri said yeah we're going to play our bowl game, and then they send their players home over Christmas, and the players get they get talking to grandma over Christmas and and their siblings, and guess what they get sick and they cancel the season. So you're kind of you're, you're bummed out there, and then like I said, you know, last year to go ten and two, and then or sorry, last year against Nebraska, you're down twenty one to six going into the fourth quarter. You block a punt. Nebraska turns it over again. You're able to win, you know, this game for the seventh year in a row, and you're and you're feeling you're feeling better about yourself because you got the dub. But you know, this year they 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 just came out flat. They they looked like the three and eight team. And Nebraska looked like they had to win an end situation to get to Indianapolis and play in the Big Ten title game. Uh, I don't, I don't know what this team did this whole week for practice. It, it doesn't look like they practiced. Maybe they probably had way too much turkey, um, not only Thursday but Wednesday, Tuesday, and Monday, and they couldn't move. Uh, you know, they just they couldn't move at all. And you know, it's and then to lose a game you know, like that to lose two of your main four rivalry games in your place, going back to Iowa state in week two, it's just, you know, it's, it's an awful year. It's a bad year. And they, they weren't ready to play and they didn't deserve a shot to, you know, get at a division title trophy to their trophy case at home, but in Iowa city, but I do, I do got to say this, I got to give some credit, not to the Nebraska fans, but the Nebraska players. Because you look at the end of that game when the clocks hit triple zero, they were able to run across that sideline, get that trophy, and they were able to celebrate with their fans. You know, that, that good for those, good for the players. Because they haven't beat, you know, they hadn't beaten Iowa in seven years. This group of seniors has lost to Iowa every single time. You know, if they were recruited in the fall of 17, winter of 18, they they've gone through three coaches turmoil left and right worst coach best coach in america and scott frost to the most ab- abysmal 
um, you know, situation to be in. They never were, they never were able to play in a bowl game at such a rich tradition of school like Nebraska to see them celebrate with that trophy and to do it with their fans. Good for them and good for those players, you know, and this will be probably a lot of the last time these kids play a down of football in their life and they are able to go out on a high note. So, you know, you're happy with the Nebraska players because they, they earned it and they needed something to go right for them. Well, nothing especially the way this game played out where they were up, it was similar mm-hmm. to last year where they were up big by three scores. And then all of a sudden Iowa starts making a comeback. It was like, and they talked about it. The sideline reporter talked about it where it kind of felt like it was like the, on that. Oh my God. It was like, here. Oh, it's happening again. Here we go again. We're going to find a way to blow this. They had a yep. couple of interceptions bounce out in and out of their hands, but then they were finally able to seal the deal with 50 seconds left. There was that turnover where they were able to, hold them to a field goal it was just a just yeah you you have to especially for what they like you said what they went through and just the mm-hmm. all the the three coaching changes and, and you got to be happy for a guy like mickey joseph who is a former husker and hopefully yep. he is hopefully matt rule is able to keep him on staff because i think you need some type of alumni base there that was there when things were good and get those kids back to understanding what it took to maintain that level of dominance that they had in the nineties. And then also, you know, a big part also in today's world of college football, we live in, if you keep Mickey Joseph on staff, these young men, they're not going to want to transfer because they know someone's there, someone who fought for them, someone who went to hell and back with him this year, excuse me, as their interim coach knows what it takes to win at Nebraska, and they can say, hey, Mickey Joseph, he has my back. So you yeah. just you, you hope Matt Rule can keep him on as what the wide receivers coach, assistant head coach, you know, some, some something along along those lines. Um, but, yeah, you know, Dylan, you're right. You know, to re- recap Iowa's year, they haven't really ever done much in the transfer portal. I mean, you know, they've gotten a couple defensive linemen from – once they got a guy from Northern Illinois and another smaller level or, you know, Charlie Jones came in from Buffalo, but he had to be a walk on. Well, now's the time where you got to try to go after not only one person, but two or three people because this program is headed in the wrong direction. And if you can't get a competent quarterback and if you can't bring um, some excitement into this offensive system, these players, they're not going to want to come here. And soon you're going to have players who should be playing wide receiver at Northern Iowa who are now going to be playing at the Big Ten level because they're thinking this. Well, shoot, <clears throat> I can play college football in the Big Ten. When really, actually, Big Ten caliber players don't want to come to your university. And, you know, there's an Iowa p- receiver on the roster this year that worries me that he's going to hit the transfer portal. And um, Keenan Johnson. You know, number six, he was a true freshman in 2021. He had, he had a good, uh, you know, true freshman year. Uh, you know, he was probably the best. He was the best receiver coming back for this year's team. A lot of potential. He missed the South Dakota State game and the Iowa State game with an ankle injury, I believe. Tried to come back against Nevada, but you never heard from him for the rest of the year. You never heard from him, never heard from him. And I'm thinking, what is, what's going on? And then it dawned on me about a week and a half ago. I'm thinking, you know what? He's probably telling the coaches and medical staff, eh, this ankle's bugging me. I just, I can't go. I can't go. 
Because now, since he didn't play in those four games, guess what? He doesn't lose a year of eligibility, and he could transfer somewhere else and still have, you know, four years to play. So things like that can happen, you know, with this Iowa team. But, and you're right, you know, they have four underclassmen on the offensive line, which, hey, it's, it's Iowa. That shouldn't be an issue. But they they're, they didn't look like they practiced and they knew how to communicate at all this year. So your offensive line coach, which surprisingly was not Brian Ferentz, should be fired. Brian Ferentz should stop coaching your quarterbacks. And Brian Ferentz should be off the roster. And then, you know, Kirky boy, he needs to be sat down by the athletic, the athletic director and say, hey, if you don't make these subtle changes – you're you're gone and we're not going to fire you but we're going to mutually agree to part ways in the in the coming years because if they keep playing like this the athletic program is going to lose money because no one's going to want to support them no one's going to want to go and the ad is going to lose his job so it's it's going to be an interesting off season an interesting 18 to 24 months there in iowa city for this football program yeah indeed it will we'll we'll uh, we'll monitor that and we did mention some coaching changes, but next week we're going to have Nate Rohr on, our good friend, uh, PA announcer for Memorial Stadium at Nebraska. He's going to come on, discuss the Matt Rule fire, hiring, and then the other some other coaching changes that have uh, happened in college football. Who knows? There will probably be some more, some more movement there. But we're going to go. We won't discuss Minnesota-Wisconsin. We didn't get to really watch much of that game. Uh, the Axe is back in Minnesota, so happy for for the Gophers and P.J. Fleck after losing to Iowa again. Um, but, you know, and now Wisconsin has a new coach in, in Luke Fickle. Uh, we'll see what happens there. I doubt they maintain Leonard as the – Jim Leonard as the D coordinator. I think there's a lot of buzz about him possibly going to the NFL, so we'll see what happens there. But – I was going to say on that note, just real, real quick, Dylan. Yep. If he, if not Wisconsin, he's probably done in college football coaching. Probably. Yeah. And I would, I would think if I'm Luke Fickle, I know you're a defensive guy, but Leonard, this Wisconsin defense has been good since Dave Aranda was there. Jim Leonard ran the same one. So man, I'm doing everything in my power to keep that guy. But Jim also might get to the point where he said, I thought this job should have been mine and I don't want it. So maybe maybe he's just gonna say I'm going to the NFL. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's something we'll, like we said, we'll keep an eye on. But we'll go over because ah, the joys. I have not felt this way in quite some time. Michigan forty-five, Ohio State a puny little twenty-three. And boy, does that feel great to say. In a game which did not start out great, Ohio State to start the game off goes right down the field, scores, and then Michigan gets it gets points on their first drive. They were kind of kind of the story, and for a good first probably fifteen, uh, like first quarter and a half, where you know they'd have a good drive going, then they'd fall behind the sticks and they couldn't get keep up. And then uh, they, but you know, got points on that first drive. To the defense's credit, they made plays. They got stops when they had to, and it was. And then Ohio State, after Michigan's first drive, goes down. It's Michigan, they're to the defense's credit, they hold them to three, so it's ten three. And after exchanging a couple of punts, 
And then on a third and nine where it really felt like the game was kind of teetering in Ohio State's favor, and it felt a little bit of, oh, boy, here we go again as Michigan fan that I've we've seen this song and dance before that it's just going to be a long day if you're a Michigan fan. J.J. McCarthy with three Ohio State defenders in his face gets Cornelius Johnson on a hitch route. House call, 69 yards. Nice. Diggity. And then Ohio State goes down, kicks another field goal, which something that I said in the preview is they got to find ways to keep force Ohio State to kick field goals in the red zone. They did. And then the next play or next drive, Michigan hits Cornelius Johnson again on a beautiful double move. I think that Ohio State defensive back is still laying on the field from the, the ankle breaker that Cornelius put on him. And Michigan's up 17-13. Ohio what? State goes down and scores 2017. And then that's halftime. And out of the gate, Michigan got the ball out of the gate. And uh, and back to it is to start the game, Blake Corum, who there, I think a lot of people thought he was going to try to give it a go, gets hurt on his first touch of the game. Didn't play the rest of the game. Donovan Edwards had a club on his hand. Sounds like he has a had a broken thumb. And he was, depending on what was going to happen, is he was going to get surgery. I don't think he's getting surgery anymore. No, and not he a- played well. And and to Ohio State's credit, they did a pretty good job of stopping the run early on, where you know Michigan was very limited. It was two, three yards a carry. And to Michigan's credit, though, they didn't abandon it, where in previous years they would have been like, oh, boy, this panic time, hit the panic button. We got to start throwing, 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 throwing. They didn't Mm -hmm. do that. They stuck with it. They did it. They ran the ball effectively enough to where Ohio State had to respect it. And that's where you saw the play action because out of the second half gate, you saw Michigan go over the top to – Colston Loveland, the freshman out of Idaho, to take the lead. And after that, Michigan never looked back. They had a good drive, a long seven-and-a-half-minute drive to start the fourth that ended with a J.J. McCarthy run, which, mm-hmm. to Michigan's credit, it was an you know, outstanding second-half adjustments on the offensive side of the ball where they didn't run J.J. a lot. They didn't run use his legs for most of this year. I think they did right away just so they had something of it on tape for guy for defenses to prepare for, but they did a good job of not really utilizing it. And mm-hmm. then in the second half, so they weren't able to adjust. Ohio State wasn't able to adjust to it. Is that was when they really cut him loose with his legs where and he made plays. He extended some drive. He had the touchdown. And then it was the Donovan Edwards show. 75 yards and 85 yard runs in the fourth quarter to put the game away. I was jumping up and down with excitement and watching Ohio state just melt like butter, watching that fan base on social media, just melt like butter. Like, Oh, we got to fire Ryan day. Oh, Jim Knowles is toast. And I also enjoy this too, because last even yes, Michigan won last year and it was great, but they, all the Ohio state fans were saying, Oh, it's one year. It was lucky. You know, you guys got to come to our house next year, and that's not going to happen. That's not going to fly. Technically, you're right. We beat your ass even worse. They bring in this D coordinator who is designed to beat Michigan. 
Well, Donovan Edwards is still running. Cornelius Johnson is still running. And then, you know, you get their coaches, oh, it's been since 2018 the last time they had to play here. Let's show them who's boss. And that crowd was hostile. Like, I was watching the the uh, the uh, Big Noon kickoff show and game day, and they did the did the game or the shows inside the stadium and like 45 minutes before the game the stadium was completely full like there was not an empty seat you could just feel the buzz and like just sitting there waiting for that game to start like I was just looking at the wa- my watch and I'm like can this game start already like I'm just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting game starts and watching these Ohio State fans melt and Coach Harbaugh last year was saying, you know, some some people are born on third and thought they hit a triple. They didn't. Now Ohio State fans are saying it. How funny is that? And you know, oh, we're not. We're, you know, they've they've been talking. They've been running their mouths. All this, you know, we're shutting them up today. No, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know the crazy part is, is not, not even just let's take these last two seasons for Ohio state and in a nutshell right now, you know, this is, this is becoming the Ohio state shit talking hour, but it, it is what it is. Um, CJ Stroud got on the mic and he goes, my legacy is, is I never beat this team. I never won the big game. You know, I have to live with that. Um, I put up all these yards but they're just empty wins. And, and he's like, I have to live with that. And then I'm thinking this, and I'm like, holy shit. His best win is a Rose Bowl game against Utah, who was out their top five corners and had wide receivers playing in the secondary last year. Wide receivers playing in the secondary. Beating Penn State doesn't count anymore because they're the worst 9-3, and 10-2 team in the country because they always get their ass kicked by Michigan and Ohio State. And they just should beat everyone else. But I'm thinking it's incredible for the amount of yards and, and touchdowns he's put up over these last couple of years. His legacy is going to be this. He never won a big game because he also lost at home to Oregon two years ago. And he lost to Michigan twice. And it's just Michigan, they did it in the most Jim Harbaugh way of all time. They don't talk. They don't do anything funny to their helmets this week of practice. They don't take out the letter O around their whole campus or anything else like that. They don't have – I don't know if Michigan has a clock where they say, in 314 days we're playing Ohio State. They, um, it's, they, or maybe, might, they might have a clock. I know in their practice facility they do have a big board that says, what are you doing to beat Ohio State today and in their weight room. But – other than that, but, that's that's really but, it. But in what I'm saying is, is they Michigan, they don't make it a big deal. It's it's or you know it's a big deal, but they don't like to throw it in your face like what you know what Ohio State does as a program, and these fans how they just want to sit back and they're almost obsessed with Michigan. It's almost unhealthy for Ohio State to be so invested on this one team and i get it this is the best rivalry in college football it's one of the best rivalries in sports i mean for me it's the, it's michigan ohio state it's duke carolina and then it's, it's everything else because what makes these games so special dylan is this is you just have to say the two schools names yep 
and people, legacies people are legacies are on the line. Your your jobs depend on if you beat Michigan or if you're or if you beat Ohio, Ohio State. Ohio State. And There's been plenty of coaches who have lost their jobs because they weren't able to beat the other. John Cooper won <laughs> over 150 games at Ohio State. Two and he was like a two and eleven record, or there were a couple of ties in there. But he lost his job because he couldn't beat Michigan. Oh, yeah, exactly. And now to your point, you know, Ryan Day, he's he's in the last two regular seasons before this game on Saturday has lost one game or two games. And the only thing people can talk about, not all the 50 point games, um, not the record breaking offense, Marvin Harrison Jr. Coming out of nowhere, Jackson Smith and Jigba, what he did last year, all these first round wide receivers. They talk about how his team's got his ass kicked twice against Michigan. And then you hear fans in the stadium. We want urban. We want Urban. Yes. Yeah. Uh, after, yeah, I was at the post game show of Big Noon Kickoff. It was, you could hear it, them chanting, We want Urban. And then I was, I saw scrolling Facebook yesterday, this guy from, I think it was Cleveland.com, talking about how they might need, they might, they're, they might try to go and talk about, try to talk Vrabel into going to Ohio State, pull him from the NFL. Christ. It's, and, you know, I, I actually think, I think Ryan Day is a really good coach. And, and the record speaks for itself. He's 45 and five in four seasons. I mean, he's put a bunch of guys in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, but he is the only record that Ohio State fans seem to care about is he's one, one and, two. and two against Michigan. One and two. And, and you know, he, if I'm an Ohio, also, Dylan, if I could just interject yeah. real quick, I'm an Ohio State fan. Watching these Ryan Day teams, I agree with you. I think Ryan Day is a good coach, and he, he's he got a good offensive staff around him. He's putting guys in the NFL. But I, you look at this Ohio State team, since he's taken over in 2019, and kind of like Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, it has steadily gotten worse and worse and worse every single year as a team. And look at that offensive line and that defensive line he had in 2019. How many NFL players were on there? J.K. Dobbins was rushing for 2,000 yards. And I get it, you know, they had a lot of injuries this year to the running game for Ohio State. But their defense hasn't been the same over these last two years. And Michigan's kicked their ass. They put up 43.5 points in both games. If you average it out, it's, what, 43.5 points. And if I'm an Ohio State fan, that's the one thing that concerns me is we're not as strong as we were in the middle with our offensive line and our defensive line with Urban as we are with Ryan Day. And what is Jim Harbaugh? What is his team? What do they always have? A great running game with a salty offensive line and a front seven that is hellacious. And if if Ryan Day doesn't correct that and his coaching staff doesn't correct that, it could be a long couple of years um, with this with this rivalry game. And I'm not saying Michigan's going going to go on a stretch of winning ten in a row. I hope, but so. they could. But it very well could be a seven three you know, eight, two split. If Ohio state can't figure this out, which is improving this defense because it's gotten worse and worse and worse every single year. And with the way Michigan's running the ball and what they won the Joe Moore award last year, who knows they might win it again this year. Should. Uh, I mean, they're, they're going to be up there. Georgia's got it. Georgia's got a good, you know, a uh, good pitch for that too. But 
you know, now Michigan can walk into any 17, 18 year old house in this country and say, Hey, look what we've done to this team these last two years. And look what we've done to every team we've played. Yeah. We're going to go here and we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to go over to you boys in Columbus. You can have all the receivers you want, but when we're kicking your ass and we have the possession for 35 minutes a game, we're scoring touchdowns. And when your offensive line can't block our front seven, you're not going to catch the ball, bro. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, uh, Joel Klatt talked about this uh, on his podcast today that, and it's true is that Ohio state. Yeah. I mean, at, if you look just on paper, like what their numbers are as far as in the running game. Yeah. It stacks up there because I mean, they, they have some extremely talented back and Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, a couple of freshmen that look like they're going to be studs, but they don't have an identity where you look at Michigan's run game. It is, it is pin and pull a gap it is power they have an identity of what they want to do in the run game where ohio state just kind of run runs plays almost and the other part too is is with michigan their defense is they are built to beat ohio state where you know they have they have two two standing two standing ends their d tackle is or their nose tackle is just an absolute animal who just eats blocks which is basically what he has to do he might not show it uh the i can't even think of 55 mason graham i didn't want to say that's his name uh is and he's a freshman and who just a former wrestler made plays braden mcgregor made a bunch of plays out on the edge that saved that he, he could have had a pick six. He knocked down a couple of passes that Ohio state tried on swing passes that didn't, that could have gone for a long way. And Mich- and then their linebackers, they are very, you know, they're, they're almost like all hybrid positions where they can play safety. Cause there were a couple of times where there were some linebackers matched up on receivers and their Michigan's linebackers held their own. Mm-hmm. And and then I, I you can't say enough about the secondary. Will Johnson did a great job on Marvin Harrison. I mean Marvin Harrison still had a hundred and some yards, but I mean you didn't see the explosive plays that you're used to. I mean there were a couple of plays where it was like there there's nothing you can do to defend that at all. And and then Mike Sandra still with the play play of the game on that third down where. And I watched that play back today. The co- the the ground he covered, which also I think you can get credit give credit to the Michigan pass rush because uh, Stroud had to kind of throw that off his back foot and it hung, sailed in the air a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Than he wanted to, which allowed Sanders still, who was playing receiver a year ago, and is probably their best tackler out in space. I don't think I've seen him miss an open field tackle at all this year which has given me like some Jordan Lewis vibes and they it's just an incredible turnaround from where people wanted Harbaugh fired two years ago mm-hmm. and he and Mason Graham yep freshman from California Harbaugh referred to him as a gift from the football gods early in the year and they he looked in the mirror. He got himself right. And you can see that this team has been, is a reflection of Jim Harbaugh, of how nasty, how f- much they, they stay in the fight. They 
They aren't going to get scared. They're not going to get intimidated. They're not going to back down. They're going to, if you punch us, we're going to punch back. And they just kept landing punches and punches and then able to land the knockout punches, which turned into the interceptions and then the two long runs by Edward. And you could tell just by watching the locker room and Harbaugh after the game where he was going to get interviewed by Tom Rinaldi. And he said, no, you don't interview me. It wasn't me that won. It was, he went and got, went and grabbed JJ. And then he went and grabbed uh, Mike Sanders still to go get interviewed because those are the guys that play. And then he runs up to the locker room and was the first one up there and went and hugged every single player. And then as the, as the, the last couple got in, they carried him in and he had his, doing his fist pump and then after when he was doing his post-game press conference Mike Sandra still came in and said this guy right here he's like oh no it's this guy and then they hug each other tell him they love him and this team just they they love each other they believe in one another and it it's proven that this team they're and just the way they carry themselves too is because after the game JJ McCarthy was talking about how you know, the job's not finished. Our goals are bigger than just beating Ohio State. This was a nice win, but we're on to Purdue. And I, I'm just so happy. I haven't stopped mm-hmm. smiling since Saturday. Oh, and you're probably not going to stop smiling unless something just, you know, catastrophic happens on Saturday, which which we hope do, we hope doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, just like last year, dude, Michigan, they have set themselves up to get the number two seed in the college football playoff and good things, good things could come from this Michigan team. And, you know, I, I told you this on Saturday when we talked after the game, Dylan, but the, the team that Iowa wants to be is what Michigan is. The difference is this. Iowa has C plus to B minus players. Michigan has B plus to A minus players. And they have changed their philosophy on the identity that they want to have. This isn't the same Jim Harbaugh offense you saw in 2011 through 2013 in San Francisco. It's the same idea, but he changed his philosophy up a little bit. And, you know, good for him for saying, hey, this is what I want to be, but I'm going to change it up to be in more with the times a little bit. And he made the tough call to go with J.J. as his starting quarterback, and it panned out. It took him, tw- it took him 11 and a half games to figure out and get a deep pass. But boy, was it a good time to figure it out on Saturday afternoon. Yep, and and I said in the in our show last week with with Mike that this this receiving core has been very underwhelming all year, and we finally got to see what what they're capable of. And I I think this was the right step. I think you're going to see more of that. I think you're going to see him open it up a little bit more, and and a little bit too with the kind of where the passing game was underwhelming. I think it was also because they were running the ball so effectively, they didn't have to throw. And and Harbaugh is someone that's stuck in the ways that if it's working, I don't need to prove to anybody that we can throw the ball just to prove a point. If we're running the ball and we're running through through guys, why stop? I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. And... So, uh, this, this is great. And, and I think, and well, you know, you talked about with the recruits. Since Michigan has beaten Ohio State, 
there were three guys that were at the game as Ohio State official visits. Three, all, and they've all committed to Michigan since then. There was one that was on his official visit. He took a picture with the uh, freshman corner Will Johnson, and was in the. Lo- I think he was in the locker room after the game. Well, and dude, what's crazy? Room. What's crazy is is two of those three recruits are from the state of Ohio. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that that's the wild part of wild wild part about that. Um, but you know, man, winning winning it's one hell of a drug, isn't it? Yep. And and Harbaugh said it is. There's nothing better than singing the victors in Columbus. Hail to the victors in Columbus. Yep. You know, and actually, Dylan, as we're doing this segment right now, that old Ohio State fan uh, with the white beard in the game, he's still saying, "I can't believe this is happening." I can't believe this is going on. He's he's still saying that right now. <laughs> what what did they Joel Cladic described it as it was like go, going to a going to a funeral the way that yeah that stadium was especially from the way that game like like I said earlier where it was like 45 minutes before the game and the stadium was completely filled. Well, yep. I mean, you know, and we'll you talk about this here in a little bit, but Ohio State, in all seriousness, you know, might need a miracle this weekend now. They could, yeah. Um, and I, I tell you what, they are going to be rooting hard for the Utah Utes and the Kansas State Wildcats. That's And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Which, but yeah. And, and I know I was texting you on Saturday about my, my Ryan Day theory is, and this is the last, because I don't want to completely where I'm just dumping on Ohio State. I don't don't like doing that well i do but i do try to celebrate michigan's wins more than the other team losing but my theory with ryan day is is i feel because i mean he didn't play at ohio state he's not from the state of ohio um uh, well he yeah he was because he was born on third base he's he's from new hampshire and he came there in i believe in 17 to ohio state was it after Herman Herman or after yep. they fired um what's his name? Ed uh, Warner. Yep. And yeah. it almost feels like just by the way he talks, is he almost feels like it's like he's got a little bit of short man syndrome where he he he's trying to prove that he is a buckeye through and through and he just overemphasizes everything where it's like I and this is just pure speculation on my part, but Maybe like that message is it's so driven in where it's like, yes, we get it. Just, you know, let's move on and, you know, worry more about other things where he just has to prove that he is this through and through Buckeye. And the only thing that matters is beating Michigan where the message is just kind of overworn. I don't know if that's the case or if it's just the fact that his football team got his ass kicked these last two years against Michigan. And he needs to – him and his coaching staff and these players, they they, they need to figure it out. Because you look at those long two touchdown runs, there wasn't – on the la- Donovan, Donovan Edwards' last two touchdown runs, Dylan, there wasn't anything Jim Knowles could have done schematically there. That was just Michigan blockers getting to where they need to be and opening up a hole and Donovan Edwards hitting it and getting it, getting her into third gear and they weren't going to catch him. Yeah. And well, and, and the other part of it too is, is like, I'll, you, I'll see on like 
like ads on Facebook or uh, TikTok or those type of things where like like at the Big Ten media days where they'll have like they'll interview coaches and one of the topics is is say something nice about your rivals. And Harbaugh's like like they, they said, say something nice about Ohio Stadium. He said, you know, it's a cool design, you know, it's got a lot of history in it. Yeah. And um Ryan Day was like, no. Doesn't even want to discuss it where it's so like, almost it, almost like a wannabe tough guy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Well, he's he's got another three hundred and um sixty five you know, days. 360 days for this star to heal and hopefully see, see if he can figure it out next year. I hope he doesn't, but, but it, you know, it'll be interesting because I'm not going to talk about the speculation for this weekend's games, but if they go as how they're supposed to go, his quarterback his wide and his wide receiver, his best, well, he hasn't played all year, but his quarterback's probably not playing in a bowl game. No. And he's, well, he kind of just said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, well, he didn't, but he, but the way he was talking was, you know, I, I never beat Michigan. I never won the big 10. It sounds like he played his, he played his last game in a Buckeye uniform. Like I said, unless, um, you know, probably just the Utah Utes pull off a huge upset. Yeah. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go over to want to discuss any of the NFL games over the weekend. You know the one the one thing that I thought was really cool, Dylan was this. It was the Vikings Patriots game. Uh, you know, in the first half, um, you know that third and, was a third and goal play when when Hawkinson scored. Uh, you know, TJ's first touchdown here in Minnesota. He almost looked relieved or just like, hey, you know, I finally did it. I scored here. You know what the best part about that was? When they showed the sideline celebration, when you saw KOC come over with a big old smile on his face. And he hugged TJ right away. I, th- I thought that was cool. And and now I understand why this Vikings team, they love their locker room so much and they love their head coach because he wants to see him succeed. And when I saw that, you know, KOC probably went to Questy and said, hey, we need a tight end. I don't know if he said, let's get Hawkinson. Or if Questy just put out a feeler and said, hey, we need a tight end um, for this team. So they went and they, and they got Hawk and, you know, he's played, he's played good three of the four games. You know, we had that drop touchdown against Dallas um, and the, the first drive of that game. But when he got in the end zone, it was really cool to see KOC's reaction where he, you know, he felt proud of him. He said, Hey, you know, TJ, this monkey's kind of finally off your back. Welcome to Minnesota. You scored on Thanksgiving. You're finally having a good Thanksgiving. You haven't had one of those in your career the whole time since you've been usually losing games at 1130 in Detroit. Um, and I, I just thought that was really cool, you know. It and it shows that these guys are human too, and they care. They care for their players. So good, good for KOC to you know have that big reaction. He just didn't, you know, shrug it off and say, "Oh, we're going for one here." You know, PAT. He went out of his way. It looked like to see Hawk and and say, "Hey, congrats, bud. That's the first of many here in Minnesota." Yeah, for sure. And it's Vikings are nine and two, and. Got, got another big one this upcoming week, but we'll uh we'll go back to the college game. We'll we'll go down to the FCS actually. We'll do a little bit of some bison talk. They play Montana at one thirty Mountain Time on ESPN Plus. Looks like the Bison are six and a half point favorites in this game. Uh, you know I don't know a whole lot about Montana. 
Uh, the quarterback is pretty athletic. He's a good runner. A uh, big thing in this game for the defense is something that they've been improved on is continue and build on it is their tackling. They've, you know, got to continue to tackle. According to my notes, it says tackle wheel, W E E L. I don't know what was. Uh, should that be well, my yeah, friend? Yeah, yeah. It, it it was it was supposed to be tackle well, but I did wheel. I was kind of scrambling to get these all notes together. Uh, another thing too is is they got to be on point on special teams. They got to be locked in there. Montana scored twice on special teams against uh, Southeast Missouri State last week, which basically. Got them the win. Uh, they beat SEMO now, 34-28, or 34-24. And, uh, and then as far as the offense goes, they got to be able to continue run the ball. Montana gave up 439 yards against Montana State two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You have to think the Bison are going to find ways to exploit that. Sounds like Lip- Lipke is highly doubtful, but... Between Tamaric Williams, Kobe Johnson, uh, TK Marshall, I expect him to get some carries. Cole Payton, Cam Miller, those five guys, it's going to be a, a just a, a mashing, dominate that A-gap power, dominate the line of scrimmage. I think, I think with that, I think NDSU, I think I like them, and I like them more than the six and a half. Uh, it's going to be, a, it'll be a fun game to watch um, anytime two national powers and the fcs get together you know it's gonna promise to be a good game it's montana's first time first time these two teams have played since uh 2015 in the playoffs in the fargo dome where ndsu won like 37 to 6 had two pick sixes it was you know ugly game from in uh, montana's part where the game was over within the first quarter they had a punt return ndsu had a punt return for a touchdown it was the fargo dome was rocking throughout Dylan, was that was that the same weekend? I'm I'm going back in time here, trip down memory lane, where we went to the Viking Seahawks game that same weekend. Yes, and, yes, and it we was. Got, yep, our hearts were broke. Um, for myself, when Iowa lost to Michigan State, and your heart broke because Michigan State won the Big Ten. Uh, was 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 that that same weekend? Yeah, that, mis- that was that was that was the same weekend. Yep, because. I remember because, you know, at the time, you know, working, you know, rent hall there in Fargo, good college job, by the way. And uh, a couple tailgaters, they needed a tent put up. So we went and put it up in the morning before the game. And then as the game was going on, we're trying to take this, take this tent down. Um, and I'm outside of the stadium and I can hear the Fargo dome just exploding. And I'm thinking, how does this place have a roof? <laughs> like, it, it, it was so loud. I, I remember just hearing it from the parking lot thinking that these people are going crazy right now. Like they, they are on a mission. Um, so yeah, that just, it just kind of came back to me. I said, you said 2015. And I was like, wait a minute. I, I think I remember the last time Montana came to Fargo. Yeah, it was a, it was a raucous crowd. Uh, usually it seems like too, for the most, uh, especially like recently with, NDSU where you know there's a lot of buzz early in the year and then you get after homecoming you see attendance kind of start to dip a little bit and there's kind of a little but, bit of that losing interest I think partially it's because of you know also, North Dakota is a big deer hunting state but then as the playoffs start to approach senior day and then playoffs hit it gets that new atmosphere you get that early early Fargo Dome loud like uh, when we were um, our freshman years 
your freshman year and then my freshman year where it was loud throughout you the stands were packed within 30 minutes before the game and there was just you could always just feel that special buzz just going around the Fargo Dome well yeah and I think the you know the best playoff game the, the one that I remember the most I want to say I, I wasn't at Georgia Southern my freshman year because I went home for winter break and that was a mistake I should have stayed up I should have stayed up for that game but what Walford um, the week before for that game, was it when Grant Olson, when he had like 24 tackles, 30, 34 30. tackles or something like that. that yeah. Or 29, and that, 29 and a half. It, he and, broke, broke the FCS record for tackles that day. You remember that Sam Houston game um, in, in 2014, that semifinal game, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun to be at. Like you said, when that place gets loud, when it gets going, there's not many, there's not, it's hard to beat. Um, for an atmosphere with what, nineteen thousand people in the Fargo yep. Dome, um, so that was pretty special. But you, you back to the game this Saturday. You said Montana blocked two kicks last week. They no, they returned. They had a punt return or, and a kick return for a touchdown. Okay, because you know what's the stat? Like Urban Meyer says, like if you block a punt or return a kick back, you're going to win. With that, you have like an eighty-six percent chance of winning yep. that game. Crazy stat like that. I mean, yeah, and, something and, like and, that. And, and, Look at this. Look at the Vikings Patriots game this Sunday. Go back to the NFL real quick. When the Vikings brought that kickoff back, that brought the juice to that team. And, you know, that was probably something they needed. So, to your point, you know, if the Bison want to win, and if Montana wants to try to pull off the upset, they're going to need to steal a possession or get some points on special teams. Yeah. And uh, sounds like uh, Eli Mostert, uh, D line, all American D lineman for the Bison. Sounds like he is running at practice. He's not a uh, not uh, doing any contact yet, but that's got to be some some good news because he's gonna be he he would be a nice added addition as uh, they're looking to make a deeper run. Be a nice person to add. Uh, sounds like hopefully maybe within a couple of weeks, if not this week, maybe next week or the semifinal round or Frisco. But. Yeah, it's exciting. South Dakota State plays Delaware. Uh, Montana State plays Weber State, who beat UND. And it it's going to be some – there's going to be some good games. So, if, if, if Chalk prevails, we'll have what? NDSU, Sacramento State, and South Dakota State, Montana State semifinals? Yep, yep. You know, for the FCS, that's as good as you're going to get. Yeah. I would I would agree with you. Uh, that bracket, uh, the only per- team it sounds like that's really in Sac State Sacramento State's uh, bracket portion of it that could possibly pull an upset would be Incarnate Word. Which if they did, that means the semifinal it would be would back be in, the, in the, Far- the Fargo Dome. But we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll go go back up to the FCS. And we'll FBS. start or FBS. Did I, yeah, I did say FCS. Yes, we're going back up to the FBS here. It's a good thing I got Grant there who can keep me correct me on my mistakes, keep me on the on the righteous straight and narrow path. We'll start in the game that is Friday, the Pac-12 Championship, USC Utah, 6 p.m. Friday on Fox. AD, I, believe. I believe it. ABC is it ABC or ESPN? You're right. I, I think I was wrong. It used to always be that Friday on Fox. Yeah, on Fox, yeah. Uh, but 
Uh, USC is looking to avenge their uh, their only loss from the season, which was a 43-42 loss on a two-point play in Salt Lake City. Stand up, Cam Rising. Yep. And USC right now – oh, no. Okay, yeah, I do have them as a three-point favorite. It is on Fox. Yep, it's 6 oh, p.m. Right, on okay. Fox. So there you go. Did, I, did you say that right? USC is th- only a three-point favorite? Yep. And okay. that game is okay. in – in Vegas at uh, Allegiant Stadium. And right now, Caleb Williams is the go-ahead, by far and away, favorite to win the Heisman. I think he's going to need another Heisman performance. The defense, they've got their stud back, who played last week against Notre Dame. And they seem to be playing better. USC's going to have to force some turnovers in this game. And I think... They, they've been running the ball a little bit better, too, uh, even after uh, Travis Dye has gone out. I feel like they've been a little bit better running the ball. They were really good. Caleb Williams running the ball, it seems to be they've taken the uh, taken the reins off him and let, cut him loose more in the run game. He definitely ran all over the Notre Dame defense on Saturday. Three, three and, touchdowns. And uh, if, if US, USC wants to get a spot in that playoff, win and they're in i think i i i would agree i mean you know if you look at when and they're in you know wins against utah uh notre dame oregon state's looking like a good win now right there in the college football playoff rankings and ucla um but the one thing if i'm utah you know and i want to win this game dylan you need to keep caleb williams in the pocket because when he goes off script and he goes mahomes it's 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 magic time. I mean, he's either he's either going to run thirty yards backwards and get back to line of scrimmage and have a crazy completion, or he's um, you know he's going to scramble and he's going to take off and he's going to make plays with his legs. So you know, Utah has to keep him in the well um, because if they don't, you're 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 in trouble with that. But then also. You know, can USC's defense can they make Utah kick field kick field goals and maybe force an early punt or two? Because Utah's offense is feeling good; they're flying high. Um, I know they lost two weeks ago to Oregon. You know, putting up sixty points against Colorado last weekend, and even the, the weeks before that, this Utah offense feels like they got it figured out. So, can USC's offense, like defense, excuse me, continue to play well like they did last week against Notre Dame and get after Cam Rising? And, you know, maybe cause an interception or two or, you know, a couple early punts. Because uh, if they can't, it, it could be a four-and-a-half-hour game in Las, Las Vegas because these teams are going to score. <laughs> yep. You know, like, like you said, they scored 85 points when they played in Salt Lake City. They might put up another 85 points, uh, you know, Friday night in, in Las Vegas. But Utah, you got to keep Caleb Williams inside that pocket. And uh, for USC's defense, when Utah has lost this year, Cam Rising has had some bad interceptions, um, and you need to make them kick field goals in the red zone and not touchdowns. Yeah, well, and and that's been one of USC's calling card on defense because they give up a lot of yards, but they've been able to force turnovers, which has kind of negated yeah. that. And if they're able to do that, I I have you have to like USC's chances. Uh, do you remember who you had uh, in the Pac-12 championship at the start of the year? I did. Um, I got one of the two teams correct. Okay. I said. Utah, Oregon. Okay. With the Utes winning the winning the conference. 
Yep. Uh, you, you and me both, actually. And I think Ethan did too. I think we were a clean yeah. sweep on Utah. Yeah. Well, Ethan had Utah winning it all. He did. Yeah. He's he, he's good for that. Yep. And uh, yeah, then so we'll see. Six p.m. Friday, and then we'll go. We'll go to the. I guess we'll just go in go in order of the way the time the games are played. It's Big Twelve Championship, ten a.m. on ABC. TCU versus Kansas State. Chris Kleiman like, in his fourth like year. Ev- like everyone predicted at the beginning. Of yep. The year. In his fourth year at the Wildcats, has the Wildcats playing for a Big Twelve Championship? He's looking to avenge a loss where they were up twenty-seven to ten, and I believe seventeen to nothing. They were 17-0. At one point in that game. A good matchup. I think TCU also playing win and in. Uh, I also found this out today, too, that did you know that Sean Payton's son goes to TCU and is a uh, student assistant? I just figured that out. I did not know that. Yep. He was on uh, He was on the herd today, and he was saying that. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh-huh. And I can't remember who... But I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you go with the preview here while I look up and see who I had in the pre- uh, previous. Yeah, so I think you know the big thing with Kansas State this year is they need to they need to not only possess the ball, Dylan, but they need they need to score touchdowns because this TCU offense with Sonny Dykes at the coat, um, you know, Sonny Dykes as your head coach, and then Lincoln Riley's younger brother as your offensive coordinator. Um. Is it? It was Max Dun, Max Dungeon Dungeon Dungan. Is that his name? The quarterback for TCU. Um, Dugan. They they can score points fast. So you know Kansas State like what they did last time. You need to get a healthy healthy dose of Deuce Vaughn, but you need to score touchdowns. And then on um, when Kansas State when their defense is on the field, you need to get stops on first and second down because as soon as TCU gets that one first down. They're going fast. And then when they're going fast, they're not substituting. The Wildcats are going to have the same same cats. No pun very much intended there on the field. They're going to get tired. They're playing indoors in Dallas. It's a home game um, on that turf, fast conditions for TCU. So Kansas State needs to win on first and second down and then make sure TCU can't get a couple first downs and they really get that speed going on offense. And then also, when you're playing TCU, you're playing a 60-minute football game. You know, these guys, they've been down in, what, eight of their 12 wins this year? Uh, it's its a its a staggering number, how many come-from-behind wins they've had in the second half. And you saw that Baylor game, no timeouts, 15 seconds left on the clock. Run that field goal unit out there and line up and, and kick a field goal to win, to win the game. Um, you know, can Kansas State, can they win this game? You know, absolutely, but they're, they're gonna they're gonna have an uphill battle because, like I said, TCU they're playing a home game, and for an opportunity at their first spot in the college football playoff, that, that's a big deal, especially in that state when you're kind of the third or fourth, fifth school. You're the fourth or fifth school for college football, and to possibly be the first team from Texas in the college football playoff, that's incredible. Um, yeah, now that you so, said that. You know, you don't, you wouldn't think of it. You'd think A and M or, or Texas would have one at this point for sure. Um, you know, Baylor came close last year. Yeah, I think they were the five or six. Um, but 
you know, Kansas State, like I said, they, they need to run the ball, but they need to score touchdowns. Yes. And uh, for me, I had Oklahoma Baylor and Oklahoma winning the Big 12 championship. <laughs> that one yep. worked out well. I think I, both I, are six and six. Uh, yes. And uh, I was with you. I had Baylor playing Oklahoma State, which was also a <laughs> pick because Oklahoma <laughs> State seven and five. And uh, I had the Baylor Bears wait for it, wait for it in the college football playoff, too. So Ethan and I's kind of wild card pick for the year didn't pan out, but we at least got the conference right. We thought a wild card pick would come from um, just the wrong school in Texas. Yeah. And that was a uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I hope I would like to see Chris Kleiman get a get a Big 12 championship, but I also would like to see T.S. TCU win because I don't really want Ohio State in the playoff. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, but keep things moving here. We'll go over to the SEC. Georgia versus LSU in the Mercedes-Benz Dome or Stadium. Mercedes Stadium. Yep, Stadium. Yeah. The Dome 2 PM, is now- 2 p.m. on CBS. I had Georgia-Alabama as my uh, predictions to start the year. I think you did as well as did Ethan. Sure did. This LSU coming off a loss might have been looking ahead a little bit uh, after losing to AM. Georgia's got to take care of business, run through them. I know LSU is a team that likes, you know, they got to make sure on Georgia's end, they got to shore up the edges. Georgia or LSU is a team that likes to get out on, on the edge, kind of show, showcase their speed, which Georgia has done a really good job of their lateral sideline to sideline of the way they're able to cover. I think that's a, this could be a bad matchup for LSU. And I don't think Brian Kelly quite has the horses yet to make this game competitive. And, you know, this is a, that's a little bit of a sign of a young immature team. You know, they had the, they had the wet East West West clinched. And then they go absolutely lay an egg against Texas A&M and lose. And I've I figured out too. I think if if Georgia loses to LSU, who just lost to Texas A&M last week, I'm sorry, but the SEC shouldn't get a team in. I don't care that they're the best conference, but if you're Georgia and you lose to a team that lost to a lifeless Texas A&M team, who has players tweeting that the only reason they went to Texas A&M is because they got the bag. Well, you don't deserve to be in. You you mean Grant was right when he said in May that this this recruiting class was phony and they only went there because they got the bag? You're kidding. No, I know. Oh, well, who would have saw that coming? Chalk one oh, up wait. for where Grant was right. Yeah, where Grant was right. We've been right a few times so far yeah. this year, Joe. You're feeling feeling good about that. You know, if I'm an LSU dude, what what scares me is, is how I let Texas A&M run all over me last year with a running back for Texas A&M who was injured and did his best to even get on the field. And you made him look like an all sec running back. Uh, What's what's the number one or a top five rushing team in Georgia going to do this year against you in a home game an hour away from their campus. And then also you're telling me Kirby smart. I know, I know Orgeron's not there. Chase Burrow, Jefferson, Thaddeus Moss, Grant Delta, Patrick queen, the last time Georgia was in this SEC title game, 
and they played LSU, they got embarrassed 37, I think 37 to 19. And it wasn't that close either. It wasn't that close either. And you know what? Last year, Kirby Smart, they blew an opportunity at a perfect season because they walked into an SEC title game thinking this, you know, if we lose, that's okay. We're still in. Um, we still have a shot at what we want. No. Georgia's, their mission this year was to go a perfect 15-0, and 0, and it started week one against Oregon, went throughout – the whole year, they hit a little lull where they barely beat the Missouri Tigers, 26-22 there in October. But then what they did to Tennessee, you know, what three, four weeks ago, this Bulldogs team is on a mission. And I don't really see this game being close. I, I, I think Georgia is going to win by, wait for it, three touchdowns. Um, and it, it's it's going to be like a 42-14 to 14 type game. They're, they're just better. LSU, they're going to be happy. They won the – West title that Brian Kelly did a lot in year one when after that Florida State game you thought there's no way they're going to win five games this year, but which is actually looking like a pretty good loss because I think Norville finally like got some loss. things clicking there. Yeah, because what Seminole they finished what nine and three on the year, something and like that. Yeah, I think their last loss was to Clemson in mid October. Yep. Um. But yeah, Georgia should just show up, dominate go home, be the number one team in the college football playoff, and then know after they win that game, they'll be like, well, with USC playing on Friday, we're either playing USC or Ohio State, so let's go. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and and well. also, um, I was with you. I also, in the start of the year, had Alabama-Georgia um, in the SEC title game. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see this game being close. I think Kirby Smart – has those guys is going to have those guys ready to play. That is a veteran group down in Athens, returning national champions. You know, they seem to shake, shook off that little bit of that hangover they had, that midseason lull that you see a lot of teams that are coming off a national championship face. They're rolling and they're focused. You know, they know what's at stake. When we get the one seed, we're playing, you know, we'll be playing either USC or. TCU if it goes by chalk and then we'll go down to the ACC I guess we can stay in the on the east coast the ACC Clemson UNC this is a game for a spot in the Orange Bowl Bowl, Uh, we had I had Clemson Miami Miami is not going to be even making a bowl game and UNC is coming off a loss Clemson is also coming off a loss, and this game is at 6 Mountain Time on ABC, again, uh, which is going to be at the same time as the Big Ten Championship game, so nobody's going to be watching it. The game doesn't really mean anything, but I think I like Clemson. I think there's just a little bit too much talent on on that roster for UNC to overcome. And this game might come down to special teams, and I trust Clemson's kicker more than I trust the UNC kicker. Ooh, especially after last week. Yep. And what is probably could be potentially one of DJ Uyunglele's last game in a Clemson uniform. I could see him transferring. I'm well, you- I'm actually surprised that Dabo has stuck with him. I as am. Long as he has because. I- I would have thought after the Notre Dame game, put Cade in. Yeah. 
And Cade's a stud. Cade is He's a Cade stud. Is, Cade is that dude. And you know, Dabo did this in 2018 when they were still undefeated. You know, um, um, why am I drawing a blank on the former quarter? Um, Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant. Yep. Kelly Bryant had a no. They lost. They lost to Syracuse in 17. But you know, they were 11 and one that year. They were the number one seed going into the playoff. They're undefeated going in in that 2018 18 season. And he said, "I needed a change. This offense needed a spark." We're going to put the five-star freshman Trevor Lawrence in. They went on to go undefeated, win the national title, and beat Alabama's ass in the title game. I don't know why he didn't go to Cade this year after that Notre Dame game. Because at that point, they still had an opportunity to sneak in the playoff as a four seed. Um, but Dylan, how does DJ go nine, I think nine of 28 last week for 99 yards? And, and still have a job. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, that's worse than Spencer Petras. And to considering how much talent he has, and I get it, Clemson's wide receivers and their running game's not the same as what it was these last couple of years, which isn't fair because that was the elite of the elite. And they still have a good running back in Will Shipley. Yep, yep. Clemson, Shipley. which they and, – and they – I think they try to be a pass-first team when they really should be a run-first team. Should be a run-first team. Especially with a guy like Shipley – where you can use play action and use DJ's legs, which he has proven. That's kind of where you see him at his best. He's he's not meant to be a drop back passer. You need him out on sprint outs or roll outs, roll play outs. action. Like like when Caleb Williams, when the play breaks down, let him go be an athlete. Um, but so yeah, I I, I agree with you. I I think DJ is going to transfer after this year. Because it's Cade's, it's Cade's starting job. And if that's not the case, I could see Cade transferring. Couldn't you? In today's world yep. of college football, he'll sit back and he'll say, Oklahoma needs a quarterback. Miami needs a quarterback. Um, you yeah, know, there's a plot. could potentially need a quarterback. Potentially need a quarterback. You're telling me they wouldn't want the number one quarterback in his class, um, okay. you know, from Texas. He's the, and he was the only number one because Quinn Ewers reclassified. But still, Cade is a dude. And when he's played this year, he's played he's played well. But yep. uh to kind of you know brag and feel good about myself, I, I did pick UNC uh, at the beginning of this year. Okay. And uh a full intent was not because I knew their defense was anything, I knew their defense was gonna be awful. I just really trusted this Carolina offense to score more points than everyone else. And <laughs> and they did that. They did that. Um, you know, Drake May, he's gotta be one of the more underappreciated superstars in the college football season this year. I think more passing yards than CJ Stroud. He used to have the most touchdowns accounted for, but I think Caleb Williams might have something to say about that now. You know, he's, he's, he's having a great year uh, and this Carolina offense can score a lot of points, Whew, but this Carolina defense is bad and they give up, they give up a lot of points too. I mean, last week to their hated rivals, North Carolina state, the third string redshirt freshman quarterback comes in and plays like an all American. Yeah, and, well, and Drake Drake May he he's he's also the leading rusher on the team this year too. He's got yep. six hundred twenty six hundred thirty yards, six touchdowns, thirty eight hundred. You he'll he'll eclipse the four thousand passing yards in this game. Uh, thirty five touchdowns, five interceptions. Mm-hmm. I I didn't realize this until like a couple of weeks ago that his older brother is Luke May. It's Luke May, yeah. And I guess um, also you know Alec was telling me. Uh, their 
oldest brother in the family was a, a college pitcher at the University of Florida, oh, and okay. he won a College World Series with the Gators. Oh wow, that's a that's a pretty and, pretty good genes. And I think I think mom and dad were college athletes at Carolina too, so so he's got the genetics on his side. Um, but but back to the game here. I'm with you. I like Clemson more in this game, just because I trust their defense to make more plays and get after Drake May than what I think this Carolina offense, Carolina defense will do to this Clemson offense. This this front four for Clemson will be able to get after May consistently, uh, make him feel the pressure, and you know make a couple mistakes like he did last week, and that'll be enough to get the Tigers to play in the Orange Bowl. And who knows, maybe we'll get Clemson, Alabama in the Orange Bowl this year. That wouldn't be uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have, would it? No, no, not at all. The, the total is 63 and a half. I kind of like that over there. I, I like the over too, because I, I think the winning team might have, you know, 35, um, 35, 40 points in this game. I, I also don't know how much I can trust the Clemson defense that gave up 31 points to Spencer, Spencer. Rattler. Well, you know, on that last, that last touchdown when they decided to just not cover the guy. Yeah. <laughs> He just decided to fall down at midfield and, and let him score. And I, I didn't really get to watch a whole – I didn't watch a single play of that game, but I know Spencer Rattler's the quarterback for South Carolina. Scored 31 points. Well, and then also, uh, you know, since this game really doesn't matter for either one of these teams, are these defenses going to be interested in playing? Well, we know Carolina's defense hasn't been interested in playing. In playing all year. So – but with that, you know, I like the Tigers. Um, my prediction from August holds true. And I also said they wouldn't make the college football playoff. So uh, at least I got one right. I got there one count. There you go. All right. And then we'll go to the Big Ten Championship. That game's going to be in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium, where the, as we record this, the Steelers are beating the Colts 16 to 10 in the third quarter here. It is Michigan, Purdue. Michigan's looking to go back-to-back in the Big Ten Championship. There's 16.5-point favorites. I had Michigan-Minnesota this year playing in the matchup. Grant had Mich- uh, Ohio State-Iowa wrong. And- Son of a gun to get to get screwed on the last week of the year. What a, what a shame. Yeah. And same with my Oregon pick. In the yep. Pac-12, we all got screwed the last well, week. Of the- you were you were looking pretty good at about at halftime of that Oregon, yeah. Oregon State game. No kidding. I mean, I'm because I, I remembered all our picks, and I'm thinking, damn, I might. Well, I think we all had Oregon, uh, Utah. Yeah, but still, um, you know, the fact that the one for that I got Carolina, I was thinking, all right, I might be able to get two two of these things right. I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and then, and then the second half of that game happened. Yep, and well preview this game michigan it's important they don't have a letdown they don't have a hangover take care of business jump on them right away i think this team has the right attitude it is business as usual you know they they said they don't they're they're already they enjoyed the the win on saturday but sunday they were all about purdue uh you know that's that's the right attitude to have because i think right now their goals as it should be is winning a national title and to even get a spot or a shot to play in the national title, you got to beat this. Purdue. You got to take care of business. They're 16 and a half point favorites. 6 p.m. on Fox, 
We got Gus and Joel calling the game. And for Michigan, it, it I think it's pretty simple. It's force AOC, not the AOC you guys are thinking of. It is Aiden O'Connell, AOC. Something that he, he has been known to do, force him into some interceptions. His secondary is playing well. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be another tough test. Uh, Charlie Jones is their be- Purdue's best receiver. I would expect some per- expect a bracket over him, have a safety over the top of him to limit those explosive plays. Uh, you know, get that pass rush going, keep teeing off on there. Uh, that That's probably the biggest thing. And then offensively is sustained drives, getting the finish, finish every possession with a kick and get out of there healthy and build off what you have going in the past game. I would expect them to open it up a little bit more with JJ and that receiving core and see if we can get, see that potential that we thought Michigan was going to have going into the year. Yeah. And, and I'm with you, Dylan. And also, you know, if you're Michigan sake, you know, you want to have Blake for him in this game. Of course you do, but maybe you don't play him. Cause if you remember in early November, when Iowa played uh, Purdue, Caleb Johnson had over 200 yards. So this should be another, hopefully another game for Michigan here where the offensive line and Donovan Edwards. And, you know, if you choose to run JJ a little more, put a little more of his run running, um, running attack on the tape for your bowl opponent to see and try to study. But if you can just keep to do what you do best, dominating the line of scrimmage, um, you're, rushing for over 200 yards and then when you do that it's you're going to force Aiden O'Connell AOC as you like to call him into mistakes and he you know what just like that Iowa game this year for Purdue he threw he threw two interceptions that led to touchdowns and then also come in with the same mindset this team had last year when they played Iowa no letdown against Ohio State business we're focused we're going to come in we want to dominate and then also to your point Make Purdue throw the ball to someone else besides Charlie Jones. Because if him and a- and O'Connell get something going where they have a little chemistry, it could, you know, scare you a little bit or think, oh, this game should be a little clo- is a little closer than what it should be. Make O'Connell feel uncomfortable and throw to someone he doesn't trust to. And, you know, good things will happen for Michigan. This pass rush can tee off because they know Purdue has to throw. And then hopefully you can sit comfortable and be the two seed you know, uh, come playoff time. Yep. Yeah. I, I, th- I expect them to run the ball. I would, I don't think Corum is going to play. Hopefully rest, get him rested. Hopefully there's a shot. He's, if they're able to win and make it to the playoff, hopefully he's going to be able to play, which is really unfortunate. I, for Blake, because I think it would, if he would have been able to play last week, probably would have had a big game and, would have been probably the favorite with Caleb Williams to win the Heisman Heisman trophy, yeah. um, which is unfortunate. Hopefully he'll still at least get an invite to New York. But yeah, I think even, even if this game's in hand, get Edwards out of there, trust uh, Isaiah Gash, CJ Stokes. Yep. And get out of there healthy. But I, I I'm with you. Maybe yeah. Run, run some J run, run JJ a little bit more. Uh, you know, just we get a little something on tape because let's 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 play the game like we've been saying all day. It's a hypothetical game. If chalk holds up, you're playing the Horn Frogs. 
um, you know, they're undefeated. Make that TCU defense sit back and for a month think, damn, how are we going to stop this quarterback from running the ball? That's just another added um, thing that the this Horned Frogs uh, defensive coaching staff is going to have to sit back and say, how can we stop those guys? Yeah. And, yeah, but you got to beat Purdue. And I think we just laid out everything that they got to do to get the win. And hopefully, hopefully it plays out that way. I uh, I am excited. I'm not a fan of the night game. I prefer they would just play it early, get the game over with. But you know what? When you're playing for a championship, the lights come on. Go win mm-hmm. it. Don't leave any doubt. And you're you're holding up a Big Ten championship for the second straight year. Yep. So we can. Uh, do you do you want to? discuss any NFL games. I know the uh, the Chiefs Bengals one is probably the game of the week, which is a rematch of the AFC Championship game. And it's the well, you know, uh, and CBS it, game of the week. Yeah, yeah, and then you know Philadelphia Tennessee, that's kind of a big game noon there on on Fox and then also, you know, low key a good game that no one's talking about. Um but 305 Central time, Miami goes to San Francisco. Yeah. Well, you know, a rematch of the uh, – or uh, a little bit of a battle between two uh, two former coaches. Uh, yep. Mike McDaniel returns to San Francisco where he, where he was the OC last year. Yep, exactly. And, uh, you know, a little a little bad blood potentially from Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert this week talking about how we have a quarterback now who can finally sling it. And we have so much talent here on the offensive offensive side of the ball there in Miami. And this, this is going to be a good test for this Dolphins team to figure out if they're legit or not. Like you're, you're playing a real team in San Francisco, in Santa Clara against the hottest defense in the NFL in week seven, the chiefs had this opportunity to go up against this Niners defense and they put up 44 points in, in over 500 yards of offense. Can, can the Dolphins, you know, officially say, Hey, we're in December and, and don't take us for granted. Let's like, don't, don't, don't sleep on us right now. So I, I, I'm intrigued for that one. And then, you know, Dylan, like you said, for this Chiefs game, this, this is a big game for them because, you know, there's a little something going with this Bengals team. You know, do they have the Chiefs number? Uh, if the Chiefs get a, a 10, 14 point lead in this game, are they, is there going to be a moment where they sit back and say, oh boy, here we go again? Because, you know, in the regular season last year, they were up in that game 14 rip and they were up 28 14. In the conference title game, they're up 21 to 3, 21 to 10 at halftime. And the Bengals, they just kept clawing and fighting, scratching their way back. And then also you look at the, this Chiefs schedule. After this Bengals game, you, you look at it, there should be a lot of wins. You got Denver, who's riding off the side of the cliff. Surprise, Hackett still has a job today. I, I am I am too. I mean, unless these Owners just want a clean, clean slate, and they're going to fire everyone at the end of the year, and they don't want to give anyone a shot. You got two games against Denver, Houston, Seattle, and Las Vegas. I know those sounds like a lot of win for this Chiefs team, um, but they got to take care of business Sunday on the road in Cincinnati. You know the Bengals are getting Jamar Chase back. Um, this young, inexperienced Chiefs secondary this is going to be a tall task for them. You know, Spags is playing a lot of man coverage this year. Can they can they hold up against T. Higgins? 
and Jamar Chase coming back from injury. Uh, and then, you know, can the Chiefs offense continue to just just roll? I mean, you know, putting up 400 yards these last couple of games. Can they do it against a Bengals team who adjusted well in the second half of, in both meetings last year? So, you know, it, it should be uh, it should be a good game. It's going to come down to the wire, and, and, you know, I'm excited for it on Sunday. Yeah, well, and, and the other part, too, is is how how good is – we're going to find out how good this Bengals offensive line is against the Chiefs pass rush that really seems to be finding a groove mm-hmm. as of late. Uh, and, and, and also, Patrick Mahomes' undefeated record in November and December is going to be put to a test. Put on the test. And, you know, also to your point, you know, this Chiefs pass rush, they, they played good on Sunday. But Bryce Perkins, you know, he didn't have much of a chance in the passing game. We're not going to deny that. But that young man had some impressive legs on him, and he got out of a lot of bad situations. Can Could Burrow get out of those situations on Sunday? And last year, the Chiefs had plenty of opportunities to get to him in the second half of that AFC title game, but they didn't um, rush with contain, and they let Burrow make some plays with his legs. I mean, Chris Jones is getting home. Um, Karloftis had his, you know, sack on Sunday. Frank Clark had a couple, a lot of good rushes. He was bringing pressure. Carlos Dunlap deflected another pass. Uh, you know, Mike Dana's having a couple sacks these last couple weeks. Willie Gay is a blitzing linebacker. Legarius Sneed. Can they get to Burrow? And if they can and he can't get those deep shots, the Chiefs have a great shot at winning. So this will be – Probably the last tough, tough, tough challenge of the year for this Chiefs defense because week 18 against the Raiders, I I don't know what it'll be. They could have the one seed wrapped up and their starters don't play, or they might have to get a win to get to get home field. Well, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and we'll we'll try to discuss a little bit more NFL talk uh, next week on the show. But you know, this week was this week had to be a college football show with uh, with it being rivalry week conference championships coming up so we'll talk we'll try to talk a little bit more nfl next week but we've got one thing left to do to discuss before we uh put a bow on this show so we're gonna kick it over to grant and it is fitting since it is the fifth episode 53 the grant caster episode he has curveball of the week well i thank you sir um but honorable mention for episode number 53 if i could for myself uh, this would also be the Navarro Bowman episode. I knew you were going to go there. I absolutely love that guy. He was probably one of my favorite linebackers when he played in the league. And it's such a shame that his career ended the way it did in that NFC title game, taking that helmet to the knee. Um, God, it sucks. Um, Cause Dylan, as you would know, um, defensive linemen and linebackers are my favorite players in the field to watch. And boy, that dude was hell on wheels on that football field. So special shout out to Navarro Bowman, episode 53. But uh, to what, I, what I'm here for, curveball. Uh, and, you know, it got me thinking, you know, Dylan, you asked one a couple weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago, what's your guilty pleasure of a song or an artist you like to listen to? Well, how about this week? What is your t- television show, your TV show, where it's kind of your guilty pleasure. Like when you tell people, hey, I started watching this, they're going to look at you funny like, what, what's wrong with this guy? Or you tell them, hey, I've been kind of watching this. And that is something that doesn't match your personality. And people are so shocked to their core that you actually watch this. So what I, I like a guilty pleasure 
television series and or show? I don't know if uh, I, w- I would classify it as a guilty pleasure show, but it, it, I guess you could say it's a bit of a bit of a fallback show that that it, it's always good to go back and watch, and it's still funny every time you see it. Like it's it it's a show that I've seen count like on a conservative level seven or eight times all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess it'd probably be two. It would be one would be Trailer Park Boys, okay. incredible. Just the just the one liners, just absolutely just characters with Ricky, Julian, Bubbles, Leahy, Randy walking around with no shirt. Yep. Just it, it, it's just a, a funny show, and it every time I'll I'll start it, I'll just get bored one day and I'll start watching it, watching episode one, and then next thing I know, like two weeks later, I'm on season seven, getting ready to finish the finale of it. Mm-hmm. It's just always so everything about it, just the Rickyisms, you know, worst case Ontario, yep, all of those different sayings. And then the other one is is probably yours. One would be one of yours as well. Would be the league. Uh, yep, 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 yep. And just just the one liners, the jokes, the pranks, the uh, with the petty. The pettiness, Ruxin's pettiness, and his uh, conspiracy theories, I guess, of sorts, if you will, of all the things that he thinks going on that I mean, yeah, colluding against him. The collusion that's going on, the nonsense that Taco brings into each episode. The, the, the EBDBB&B, the three penis wine. Yep. <laughs> or, you know, the porno with, with Seth Rogen and Rafi. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes Ra- i mean rafi's a character in himself and oh my god yeah i, I that, that's exactly how i got hooked on the show is because you told me to go watch rafi from the league on youtube and i was watching it before class one day in college and i'm sitting there just laughing hysterically and the person ne- person next to me is just sitting there like what are you like looked at me like i was crazy and i'm like yeah sorry but this is too funny i i'm like yeah then what do you know go home that night and start it Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, now I've seen it probably eight to ten times. I haven't watched it lately. Recently, I've just seen it pop up on TikTok, a, TikTok a couple of times in the uh, or reels in Instagram. And but, with fail, whenever you find one, you send it to me, and God bless you for that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might, I might. Who knows? Maybe tonight when I'm when we're done recording, I might go and watch this. Go and watch a couple of episodes. Yeah, there you go. Because I remember when season seven came out, you know, we weren't able to catch it live because we were still in school, but it came out on Netflix. And I'm pretty sure I watched all like 13 episodes in one day. Yes, me too. <laughs> I binged the whole thing. I was like, all right, well, I'm watching this. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so to the person with the root root of the question here. The reason I thought this was such an appropriate question is, is because my answer here is just so ridiculous and it's so not Grant that you're going to just absolutely lose your, you're going to just fall to the floor when you hear this. Um, but so it's kind of a little story time here. So it was like 2017 or 2018, you know, I'm living with Alec and we're at the apartment at this time. And I come home and he's laying on the couch and he's watching this TV show and I'm like, dude, what are you watching? Are you, you watching reruns of the Hills? Like it was something on MTV and it didn't look good. And he was like, 
Well, I don't know. It's just kind of something I found on, on the TV. It's these people who live in Florida in this nice community and they just, it's kind of a reality show. And I'm like, weird. But since we live in a, you know, it was a two bedroom apartment with a small living room. I didn't want to be that guy who went to his room and turned Netflix on. So I was like, so I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then it's called Siesta Key because it's by Siesta Beach there in Sarasota. And then as I'm just keep watching this, I'm thinking, these are the worst people in America. I mean, they just <laughs> they, bicker, they bicker like high school students. They clearly don't like each other. Um, and it's it it's just trash reality TV, but it's taped and it's real life. And here we are, like five years later, and guess what? A new season has come out. And guess what? Alec and I have in our DVR every single week. <laughs> Siesta Key. So to Siesta Key. It's it's not it's one of those where it's like these people they're they're truly awful people, and you do would not want to be with them. But some of the stuff they just get into and the arguments they have and how petty they are and the things they'll do to be on TV, it's, it's kind of comical to watch. It almost makes you feel good about yourself where it's like, you know, what? could you imagine how bad my life would be if I was on TV and how much I'd hate myself? You definitely seem like a guy that would fit in in reality mm-hmm. TV, Grant. That's um, definitely when I first when I first met you, I'm like, this is a guy that's a reality TV star in the making. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, though, is, is um, over these years, you know, Caleb and Courtney, um, you know, two of my good friends, she Courtney, she loved it because she's a white woman and anything on TV, white women love. He can't stand the show. So to get on <laughs> Caleb's nerve, whenever we go, I'd go over there to meet up with him. We just got to talk about the latest episode with Courtney. So Caleb has to sit back and listen to us ah. talk. About this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> he just gets so upset. And then after a while, he kind of starts thinking he's not talking as much smack about it anymore. So, oh, it's just it's kind of funny. But, uh, you know, one of those shows where you say, oh, Grant, he's not going to watch that. But sure shit. Every single week he's got it on his DVR and he's got to catch up and see all the drama that's going on there in, in southern Florida. All right. Well, there you go. It's uh, Grant is a Siesta Key fan. I'm a league and trailer park boy since I don't really have a, I guess, a guilty pleasure i'm pretty straight straight cut there on uh, my my tv shows but that'll uh put a bow on this week's episode thank you guys for listening check us out on all of our social media platforms twitter instagram tiktok three at 3g tv podcast and then check out our facebook page the three guys talking ball facebook page we'll be posting some content there are the segment cut-ups of the show is going to be posted on friday so you just you only want to see certain parts of the show just go to our youtube make sure you subscribe there subscribe wherever you get your podcast thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you next week